Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Good. Well, I am super stoked to be here. Uh, Mike Homer said I met him. We were just kids. First day I met Homer, I walked into this house. We had like 30 kids living all in the same room. And he had like one of those wife beater shirts, which I know isn't politically correct. And his tattoos were showing. And he had these gigantic glasses on and a cowboy hat. And I had no clue what was going on. I had never had brothers before. Uh, and I just was thrown into this wild house. And the moment of seeing Homer was kind of like the icing on the cake, you know? It's like, I already saw these guys, and they're all crazy and wild, and then comes a guy running through the kitchen with a cowboy hat on. Um, Texas. Yeah, from Texas, so. Uh, but yeah, we, we, I mean, another fun fact about me and Homer, we got in a fight while we were in the internship, and that was fun, like a physical fight. Um, so he's probably like the first person I've ever gotten to a physical altercation with, which was awesome. Um, but like he said, unexpected things have happened, and uh, him and I are, are not friends. I moved to San Marcos um, about next month makes a year and a half of me living there. I help out with a college ministry, uh, part of the leadership team, and also get to work at a really cool uh, startup in Austin. Uh, so juggle a lot, and uh, not nearly as much as Homer, but we are able to uh, talk every once in a while, connect, see what God's doing. To, in each other's lives and, and pray for each other and be able to meet, we've been able to meet a little bit. Uh, so I've been uh, tuned into the story of Gravetop Church, which is a name that I love and uh, I'm super excited. I was really honored when, when Homer uh, invited me to come. So this morning, I need you to buckle your seatbelts. We are going to, uh, yeah, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to be going uh, through the book of Exodus, like 90% of it. So you go ahead and you can turn to the book of Exodus. I'm going to pop open my notes here. I'm old school. I have written notes. That's why Homer asked me for my notes like last, last night. And I was like, oh, God, I have to organize these now. Let's see if there's space to put all this. So go ahead, turn to Exodus chapter one. And we are going to get started there. Actually, Exodus chapter two. Uh, and we're going to get started there. Exodus chapter 2. I, I love the book of Exodus. A lot of theologians will say that Exodus is actually like the key to the rest of Scripture, and we cannot, we'll, we'll get into that um, later. But we're going to start here at chapter 2 with the birth of Moses. So it said, About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughters came down to bathe in the river, and, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket amongst the reed, he, he, she sent her maid to get, to get it for her. 
when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of those Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby sister approached the princess. Should I go and find out, find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the, the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. And the woman took the baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, the mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I have lifted him out of the water. I have lifted him out of the water. Let's pray. Lord God, teach us how to be free. Amen. Amen. I pray real quick. So uh, the, the beginning of this, of this uh, book of Exodus, I love the fact, it's actually kind of disturbing that from jump, it starts off as like a child protective services case. Like this mom who's supposed to, it says here, she thought that this was a special baby and she took the baby and she dropped it into the river. I don't know what she does with like the not special babies, but that doesn't seem like special treatment to me. She takes them. You can imagine you're at the Pearl, you're like near the river walk, and you're hanging out with your friends, and you just see a, baby, a lady just take a baby and put it in there and just wave the baby goodbye and just walks, walks away like nothing happened. You'd be concerned. You'd be freaked out. You would have some issues. And, and my question is, like, I don't know if she had any, like, homegirls around her to give her advice. Like, for anyone that's like, yo, and, and, like, what do you even tell your friends when they come over? Like, people are like, oh, my gosh, let me come. I want to see the baby. Girl, where's the baby at? Let me show the baby. I got him some new clothes. Girl, where the baby at? And she's like, oh, oh, about the baby. Uh, you see, this morning I put him in a basket and sent him down the river. It's like, Girl, girl, you did what? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I took him in the basket. Then I sent him down the river, but no, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Pharaoh's got him. Um, they're they're going to take care of him. We watched the whole thing. It's like, girl, I hope Pharaoh got him because that, that is a felony. That is, that is homicide and neglect. You're going to jail, boo-boo. So, so Moses starts off the story of his life with this trauma. He starts off separated from his mother, uh, and he now has to go and he has to live a life under a king in the actual palace of a king who was trying to kill him and to kill his people. That's, that's, that's not a pleasant upbringing uh, for Moses, where he's not able to be with his mom, not able to be with his dad, separated and living with the very people that actually hate him and hate his people. But in the midst of all of this, what we can actually draw out is that God is actually already at work in the life of Moses. If you look at that last verse, the princess said, I have named him Moses because I have lifted him out of the water. Little did she know that about 80 years later, Moses would be leading a people of Israel across water, leading them out and lifting them out of, 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 uh, of being slaves to being royalty, just like his own life, that, that he was someone who, who, uh, who was a refugee who was now lifted into royalty. 
It doesn't matter what happened in your background. It doesn't matter uh, uh, all of the things that, that you've endured through life. Uh, in the midst of all of it, God is actually doing something very special and profound. And oftentimes what he does in your life, he wants to do through you in the lives of others in greater capacity like he did with Moses. So Moses grows up. He uh, goes through his, 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 his teens and his early 20s living for the Pharaoh. Uh, and, and, and justifiably, he has some anger. At the end of chapter 2, he kills a man and he has to flee. It's like that's all Moses does. He flees. He had his first exodus as a baby. He has a second exodus as a young man. And he flees and he, he goes to a guy's house named Jethro and marries his daughters and He's there for like 40 years. And then, uh, and then God starts to call Moses back to his people, who begins to call him back to Egypt. And, and, and he arrives one day, uh, and, and, he, and he's like Moses 2.0, right? Like this is the Moses that we all know. He's bad to the bone. He's got the long beard. He's got the staff. He's like making stuff happen, you know? It's like point over here, bam, blood. Point over here, hell. Point over here, locust. Like, dude's just doing stuff. And, and, and God is moving. God is working to set his people free. But I think there's actually a lesson that we can learn from Pharaoh in the midst of all of this. So if you can turn to Genesis 8. One of the plagues that Moses brought upon Pharaoh was frogs. So there's frogs, like, everywhere in the house, Right? Like, I don't know if you guys have ever, like, had a cockroach in your house or something. I live with three beautiful black women when I was growing up. And if there was one bug in the house, everybody was going to know, right? Like, they'd be screaming. They'd be running. Furniture would be flipped over. Me and my dad would get called. There'd be shoes and spray. Just whatever we can do to fix the issue. So, so the, the people of Israel are living in a really similar scenario. It says that there's frogs everywhere. Like you open up a container, there's frogs inside of it. Uh, you, you get into your sheets, there's like frogs in your sheets. There's just literally frogs everywhere. Frogs in your shoes. Open up your wallet when you go to the grocery store to pay for your stuff. There's frogs in there. It is like the worst. And everybody's understandably fed up. So Moses, so, so Pharaoh summons Moses. And that's where we're going to jump in. Um, on, in verse 2, or sorry, verse 3. The Nile will swarm with frogs that will come out of your rivers and into your palace, even to your bedrooms and onto your bed. They will enter the houses of your officials and your people. They will even jump into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs will jump on you, your people, and all of your officials. Which I just feel like it's kind of like a strange thing. Like, yo, frogs are going to be all on you, dude, if you don't do this. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise the staff with your hand over all the rivers, canals, and ponds of Egypt, and bring up the frogs over all the land. So Aaron raised his hand over the land of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the whole land. But the magicians were able to do the same thing with their magic. They too caused frogs to come out of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so that they can make, offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses replied, Okay, Pharaoh, you want me to take them away? You set the time. Tell me when you want me to pray for you and your officials and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs that will remain only in the Nile. 
then Pharaoh does something that to this day I do not understand. He says, look, can you take these away from me? And Moses says, yeah, bro, just name the time and set us free. And then Pharaoh says, do it tomorrow. Like, no, no, there's frogs everywhere, Pharaoh. What do, what do you mean tomorrow? Like, you have an opportunity to be free right now. Why are you picking tomorrow? But I feel like that's how our lives can be many times is that we know that there's areas in our lives where we can get freedom. That God has shown us areas where he's like, hey, hey, this is something that we can work on. This is something that we can grow in. This is something that a place that I want you to move to. And then we look at it and we look at God and we say, hmm, maybe tomorrow. Maybe, maybe we can just work on that later. Uh, maybe, uh, can we just like put that off a little bit longer? And you see what Pharaoh did was he took something that was meant to be a pest. And by waiting till tomorrow, he turned it into a pet. And many times along in our Christian lives, there's things that we're supposed to get out of our lives, but instead we just make it more of a part of who we are. Say, oh, well, you know, that little thing, that's just my anger issue. That's just how I am. Oh, well, you know, I just, I've always talked like that. That's just how I am. That's just how I live my life. Oh, well, you know, this is just me. This is just me. And the thing is, when, when, when there's something that you consider a pest, when there's something that you're just going to drive out of your life, you will do whatever it is in your power to get it out of your life. When something is your pet, you do everything in your power to support it. You do everything in your power to say, you know what? This little thing, this actually makes me feel good. This actually, I'm actually going to enable this behavior because it makes me feel good. So Moses and, uh, and, and Pharaoh, eventually uh, uh, Moses wins their, their, little, their little battle and, and the people of Israel are free and they're all going to leave all together. And what the Bible says is that the Egyptians actually gave them uh, most of their gold and most of their riches and they cross over, uh, over the Nile River and, uh, sorry, they cross over the, 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 the Red Sea and uh, it says that that they, they were rich and they, they stripped all of the Egyptians of their wealth. Uh, and, and Moses was there with his staff. He puts the staff down on the waters part. You guys all know this part of the story. And they make to the other side safely. And, and, and the thing is, is that although they changed their location and they went from being slaves to being rich overnight, they actually hadn't left themselves or left their old mindsets and thinking behind. A lot of times we think, man, life would be so much better if I had X amount of dollars. You have that salary or like that, 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 that pay that you're like, man, if I had this, this much money, life would be so much better. Or maybe if I just moved to a different location, life would be so much better. But those things are only temporal at the end of the day, regardless of how much you have or where you move. You are still you, and you still have to deal with some of your issues. So to get to the other side of the river, the Bible says that Miriam, starts, she just starts to bust down. She just has this whole part. It's like a solo song, and she's like, 
the horse and the rider been thrown into the sea. The horse and the rider been thrown into the sea. And the horse and and the whole all the women of Israel they're like they're all jumping in, they're all doing the thing, doing doing the shimmy. And the Bible says they start to get hungry. And they're just kind of like, the horse and the rider been thrown into the sea. And then they start to get angry. And they're like, the horse and the rider. Look, I don't want to sing about the horse anymore, okay? We can sing about the horse after we get some food. You know how it is when you get hangry. Don't, don't lie. I've been hangry before. So I know some of you guys have been hangry before. Like, I don't want to sing about the horse anymore. The Bible says they start complaining and complaining and complaining. You guys want to turn to uh, Exodus 16, verse 3. The Bible says they start complaining about having a lack of food and a lack of water because they have just gotten to the promised land where they no longer are fed by their slave masters, but they actually have to feed themselves. So verse 16 says, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into, into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Wow, it's dramatic. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. So really point number one, I, know I got through a lot of points already, but the real point number one, we're going to go through a few uh, things that slaves believe and then say what God says. So number one, slaves do not think God will provide. Slaves do not believe that God will provide. The thing about being a slave is that they are used to their master's food. They're used to their master's food. Bible in the New Testament says that you were once a slave to sin. You were once a slave to iniquity. And oftentimes we are used to our, our old master's food and our old master's provision. They didn't believe that God would provide because they never had to trust him for it. And then they do. And then, of course, because he's God and he's a provider, he shows up. But the thing that I think is so interesting is that God doesn't ask them what they want to eat. He, just, he, he gives them something and he says, hey, here, you guys are going to eat this because the question isn't really about God and whether he can provide. Because the answer to that is a resounding yes. What God is actually trying to test them and teach them is about their appetite. He said, you have, the things that you have been eating for so long, you have acquired a taste for that you're not going to be able to have when you get into the promised land, which the Bible says you are going to eat milk and honey when you get into the promised land. So oftentimes we complain to God and we say, God, um, I'm just so, so lonely and, 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 and God says, okay, I have everything that you need. You say, oh, well, you know, no, I, I, I just always, when I was lonely, I've always had an appetite for just unhealthy relationships. And God says, no, no, I need you to trust me that I can provide. It might not look how you want it to, but trust me because I will provide. I need you to change your appetite. So God has provided everything that you need. The question is, 
do you have an appetite for it? Exodus 17, 2 through 3. Again, children of Israel complaining as usual. Once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? He asked, why are you trying to bring us out of Egypt? Why? That is a question of purpose. So point number two. Slaves do not trust God with their future, and they do not know their purpose. See, all their time living as a slave, which is which is a, uh, a picture for sin. All their time living as a slave gave them a long list of things to do, a lot of things to occupy their time, but what it did not give them was purpose. Was purpose. So, 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 so they go and they start to do what God calls them to do, and they're in this season in the wilderness, and then they have this moment where it's like, oh my gosh, why are we here? God, what are you really asking me to do? Who am I really? What really is my purpose? And the thing about the human heart is that the human heart is going to look for purpose regardless of, of, of the circumstance. So oftentimes you see people and they say, well, I don't really have a purpose. So my purpose is going to be, is going to be uh, doing something better than your purpose. I don't really have my own purpose. So I'm just going to get in a relationship with someone who has a lot of purposes. I'm just going to kind of leech off of their purpose. I don't have a purpose, so I'm just going to criticize everyone who seems like they're actually doing stuff and that, and that, and that they have a purpose or, or they know where they want to go. And God, God is saying, you have a purpose. You just have to find it in me. It's that you have a purpose. Just find it in me. So moving along, Exodus 18 and 19. So Moses has been leading the people of Egypt, and they are um, kind of having this like administrative issue. He's the way that he's uh, leading everybody. He's like, "Yo, I'm gonna make all the decisions. I am not only the leader and the president, but I'm also the Supreme Court. So whenever there's an issue, everybody's running up the ladder, and I'm gonna answer the question." So he would sit all day long, just taking questions and just like figuring out everyone's problems and everyone's little issues and legal stuff. So his, his, his father-in-law comes and visits him and Moses is trying to justify this. And he says, because he says, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you trying to do this all alone? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. I'm sure he felt like real good when he said that. And then Jethro comes back with, this is not good. Moses' father-in-law exclaimed, you're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy of a burden for you to handle all by yourself. This job is too much of a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Number three, I think we're on. Slaves do not trust God with being in control. So they take things into their own hands. You see, Moses, God had called him to be a father of a nation and called him 
to be a prophet, uh, but you look, uh, we're, we're 13 chapters in or 16 chapters in to the story, and Moses has now set himself up just like Pharaoh was. He was actually doing something far outside of his calling, far outside of what God had, had asked him to do because he could not give up control. Oftentimes in our life, we, we try to control other people. And the more that you try to control other people's lives, control your romantic relationships, control your family, control what your parents are doing, control what your friends are doing, the more you try to control others, the further you will move out of what God has actually called you to do and the purpose that he has on your life. God, God wants us to live lives where we feel like where we trust him and trust, uh, trust him to take care of and steward other people and allow them to make their own decisions and where we can actually focus on what God has called us to do. Sometimes controlling relationships looks like when, when you get upset at your friends for not taking your advice specifically, that you have to take my advice or I'm going to be mad or upset with you. Or uh, you have to tell me everything all the time. And if I, if I, if I hear that you like, didn't tell me 100% of the story, I'm going to be upset. Or, or you have to make, when you make plans, you need to invite me too. If you're hanging out with any of your other friends, you have to invite me too. So it's a little bit of control issue. It's okay. God can, God can work on it. So moving on. Exodus 20, verse 19. God is now giving the Ten Commandments to uh, everyone in, in, in Egypt. And, and there's this like, startling moment where Moses is, is trying to get the people of Israel to engage with God. And they reply with this. Um, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Just strong. So, so what the point here is slaves do not believe that God is good. Slaves do not believe that God is good. Everyone, there's a man, if we talk to God, he's actually going to kill us. They didn't believe that God had, uh, had their best intentions in mind. But that's actually uh, the exact opposite of what God is trying to lay out here. So he had just given the Ten Commandments. And, and, and in verse uh, 20, verse 2, he, he lays out to them, I am the Lord your God who rescued you, rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. You must not have any other God before me. He started, what he's doing, he's starting to paint this picture of, look, I am the one who has brought you out. I am the one who has saved you. I am the one who looked upon you while you were in your worst moments when you were a slave. And I made a way for you to find freedom and to find salvation. I am a good God. A lot of people think it's, it's, it's really weird, but, but the exact next chapter after God gives the Ten Commandments, what he actually talks about in that entire chapter is what, how do you treat a slave who loves their master so much that they want to stay? And what he's trying to communicate to them is, look, I have transferred you from one slavery, from a bad master 
to a good master. That, that I am so good, that I'm so worth committing your life to. I am so worth committing your, your passion and, 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 and trusting in and, and, and giving up control for. If you only believe in me, if you only trust in me, you will realize that I am a good God. You can really only be as free as you believe God is good. So the story goes on. The people of, of Israel, um, they, they kind of meander around the wilderness uh, for what will end up being 40 years. And kind of what brought, brought that on happens in Numbers uh, 13, verse 33. It's finally time for them to get into the, to the promised land. And they're kind of sitting there at the trailhead and... Um, Moses sends out these spies, and the spies are supposed to come back and be like, yeah, we can beat them up. But they don't. It says in verse 33, um, or sorry, 31, but the other man who explored the land with him disagreed. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other man who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report through the land amongst the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone, anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Really, the issue here is that they did not believe that God would fight for them. They did not believe that God would defend them. Um, so this is the next point here, I think we're on five is that slaves do not trust God to defend them. Slaves do not trust God to defend them. And people think, man, my, self-defense is my thing to handle, is how a lot of us go, go through life. And, and, and as a result, we either live life in this defensive stance, man, I'm just going to live life just not to get hurt. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to make all my decisions. I'm only going to surround myself with people who I don't think are going to hurt me. I'm going to put up so many uh, emotional roadblocks and so many uh, boundaries that no one's ever going to really know the real me uh, because I just want to make sure I don't get hurt. And on the other end, uh, people who do not believe, on the other side of the spectrum, people who do not believe that God will defend them can be hyper-aggressive. Like, man, I have to look out for myself. I have to fend for myself. So I'm going to be someone who no one's going to hurt me because I'm going to, I'm going to hurt them first. I'm going to be the one that swings first in this fight. I'm going to live my life making sure, uh, uh, leaning into any, any aggression, any conflict. I'm going to be the one that makes sure that I am well protected. But what God says is like, child, I will defend you. I will defend you. I have your back. I am on your side. Just trust me to defend you, and things will turn out well. To the children um, of Israel, eventually, again, uh, have to go through the, go through the wilderness uh, for 40 years. And they're, they, they meander around. They, they walk around, and uh, Moses eventually dies and, and, and Joshua is left. And Joshua, uh, God has already said, would make it into the promised land. And, and when Joshua goes into the promised land, unlike Moses, who was just one man with a staff leading thousands of people, um, 
they actually uh, have an ark now where, where God's presence rested and four or five people, a whole tribe, um, took the ark across the, the, the river. And, uh, and, and, the, and the point there, what God is trying to, to illustrate is that, is that I once used one man, but now I want to rest with my people. I want to be amongst uh, my people, that I'm actually not far from anyone. So the point there is that slaves do not believe that God is close. See, the people of Israel in that story where they're like, no, keep God far away from us. They always believed that God was far away. And if God is far, then he cannot help you. If he doesn't care, then he will not help you. If he doesn't know, then he does not know how to help you. But, but what we see is, is that God was in constant pursuit of closer relationship because he knew the closer that I get to them, the more that I can be in their life, the more freedom that I can give them, the more freedom that they can have. So he starts off with one man, Moses, with a staff. And then, and, and then a little bit later, he's like, okay, I want to be amongst my people. Can you guys build a tabernacle with an ark where my presence will, will rest? And they say, yeah, let's absolutely do that. So they do that. And then next, they, they go into the promised land. And he realizes, man, the tabernacle isn't really going to work. Uh, I, I need to be in closer relationship with people. So he sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus comes and lives among men. He's, he's the God-man. He lives among men. And he, be, he takes human flesh to be as close as he possibly can be. And then Jesus finishes his 33 years on, 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 on the planet. And then he, uh, at the very end, he says, I've got to go. But there's actually something better coming. And that, and that person was the Holy Spirit. And God finally says, look, if it's how close you are to me that determines uh, um, how much freedom you have, then what I'm going to do is put my Holy Spirit in you so that there's actually no separation at all between me and you. That I'm actually now uh, as close to you as, as your skin. That, that the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom that 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 people can live so closely in step with me so closely in tune with me that the lies that they believe will actually change and and that the way that they walk and the way that they live will actually be transformed not from the outside not from a god that's far but actually from a god that's inside that the story of exodus is really uh, uh just an allusion to jesus that they sent out 12 spies, just like Jesus had 12 disciples, that, that, that they were baptized and went into the wilderness, just like Jesus was baptized and went into the wilderness when he was tested about his appetite and he was tested uh, um, about his identity. And then just like the story of Miriam, where Miriam uh, celebrates after they find freedom, there's a woman in the Bible named Mary who, after Jesus has risen from the dead, celebrates and tells everyone about it. That, that just like uh, Moses has to escape a ruler who wants to kill him, Jesus escaped a ruler at a young age who also wanted to kill him as well. Why is there so many parallels? Why is there so many things that, that, that line up like that? It's because the writers of, of the New Testament is trying to 
scream to everyone, hey, Jesus is the new exodus. Jesus is your way out. That if you, are, if, you have, if you are living in sin or if you're living in bondage or if you are living like a slave, that, that Jesus didn't stop freeing people with the Israelites, but that he's actually uh, freeing people today. That Jesus is your way out. That he is the new promised land for you. And all you have to do is trust and believe in him. So if you guys just bow your heads and close your eyes. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? I'm going to pray in a moment. Uh, then Homer's going to come up and, and, and move the service. Uh, but to take a moment to think about it. Where are the areas in my heart where I've been thinking like a slave? Where are the areas in my heart that God wants to change and transform. Really the question is, where are the areas in the heart where I have not allowed the Holy Spirit to move and to work? Lord God, we thank you this morning that you didn't leave us as slaves, that you didn't leave us as orphans, but instead um, you came and you came and you got as close to us as you possibly could. Uh, that you're willing to jump in uh, to the messiness of our lives, uh, the deep and dark and dirty parts of our lives, and transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.